picture up there is um, dark, but that's okay. It's meant to be, because it, uh, it, that is actually the Sea of Galilee, um, and it is very early in the morning, because that's where we're going um, in our uh, Bible uh, exploration today. It's in John 21. It's on page uh, 1090, if you want to look it, up in, look it up in one of the Bibles nearby. Now, I guess like uh, many of us, there are times uh, I've had in my life, and uh, we've all had these times, I suppose, when uh, I've just simply really not known quite uh, what's going on. Uh, I'm like that quite a lot of the time, but even more so uh, than, than usual. Um, things happen, don't they? Things happen when, uh, you know, I just don't have the words to really uh, kind of understand it, really, or, or go through it, or express it to myself or anyone else. Times when I don't know what to say and I'm kind of thinking, well, what does God have to say at a time like this? But I don't really know how to ask him either. And at times like that, for me, there have been a couple of times, quite uh, significant times, when I've just had to kind of get out, you know, and try and kind of, well, not try and figure it through in one sense. Maybe like Les was saying, just to kind of ask the Lord and, and look for for something in his word or just to, to, I remember a time back in 1992, which is quite a long time ago, but I remember it very clearly. It was a, re- a really uh, difficult thing. I, I got some news of a, a plane crash uh, in 1992. A, a PIA, Pakistan Airlines uh, plane, crashed on its way into Kathmandu. Uh, I was working for a mission agency called InterServe at the time. I worked for them for 20 years before I came here. And uh, I, when I got the news of that plane, I got the news because a family that I'd recruited, they'd been in Nepal for five years. I joined in 87, and they were the, the first family, actually, that I'd kind of recruited and supported, been with their grandparents and everything through the sending of them as a whole family. And there were five of them. Actually, there were six of them because Helen was pregnant as well. And they were all just wiped out in that plane crash in an instant. I remember, I didn't know what to I just remember I didn't know what to do. Actually, I was in my home in Warwick, and uh, I just got out. And Warwick is so small. Someone was in Warwick Castle. They're out the back. Great, great place to live. Um, Quite near the countryside. I just walked across the country, sat in a churchyard in a village called Milverton, and just tried to get my head around it. Those kind of times when those kind of things happen, sometimes they are circumstantial. Other times they're uh, more to do with other kinds of confusion. Have you had any times like that? Maybe you're there at the moment. Sometimes they can be with a, a crisis or sometimes they're things that you just, you just don't understand quite what's happening. They can be a, a, a moment or they can go on for quite a long time. Well, with today, as we look at this passage in John's Gospel, we're actually with some people who were right in that place when we joined them. Because we're in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And John is going to give us in this chapter 21 one more incident. It looked like he'd finished this book at verse 30 of the previous chapter. He kind of summarizes and said, I've written it for this, this and this reason. Uh, but then, then he said, oh, I must just tell you about one more thing. And it's not just an afterthought. It's a really crucial chapter. And I'm so glad that he did. Because it's very, very helpful, or I have found it so anyway. Because it's a look into the experience of the disciples 
after those initial spectacular resurrection appearances of Jesus we were thinking about last week. We know from Matthew's gospel that they were told to meet Jesus in Galilee, where they all came from. And Luke tells us uh, in his gospel and in the book of Acts that they spent 40 days. Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days. Whether that was constantly or off and on, we don't know. There's so much that we don't know about what happened in that period. But during that time, he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then there was a final farewell outside Jerusalem. So they must have kind of traveled together to Galilee and then back from Galilee with Jesus to Jerusalem for the final farewell and what we call the ascension happens just outside Jerusalem. Maybe that Jesus used the road trip to to teach them all this stuff about the kingdom that they learned, but we don't really know for sure. We can only speculate, so we won't go further than that. But as we begin this passage, we find a few of the disciples back in Galilee already. It's probably the second week after the resurrection. And uh, I guess what probably happened, because as we will see, they were absolutely terrified, all of them at this point, Um, and they would have perhaps gone in separate groups. So the first group is there, and I guess the others are going to be joining them later on. But let's read uh, the first few verses in John 21. So here it goes in verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now twice in this first verse, and once again in verse 14... John tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples. Now, the word we've just read in the NIV is not a particularly good translation of what's actually in the original Greek here. It actually means he revealed himself. He did more, you know, he showed himself. It's the same word we have in John 2. Do you remember at the uh, the wedding at Cana? John says, Jesus, this was the first of his signs and he revealed his glory. He showed people who he was really was. It goes on to say in John 2, that's when his disciples believed in him. This is more than just, oh, they saw Jesus over there. Or Jesus appeared and said like he had done before, you know, I'm alive and you can touch me. And Thomas, you can put. Now, this is something much more than that. This is um, about finding more out more about him. This is about getting to know him better again. And the way things were going, they really needed that, didn't they? They really needed Jesus at this time. Oh, that's too far. Sorry. Can we take that off? Thank you. Good. They really needed you. That's my first thing I wanted to think about. Here here are these seven disciples. There's Peter and John and James. They were the sons of Zebedee. There's one called Nathaniel. There's Thomas. And there's two others. We don't know who the two others are, but they could be Philip And they could be Andrew. If you go back to the first chapter of John's gospel, these these, uh, same characters were around Jesus in Galilee when they first became disciples. Now they're back in Galilee, probably, as I said, ahead of the others. So how are they doing? (laughs) I wonder how life was for them 
back in Galilee on the beginning of the second week after Jesus rose from the dead. I don't think they were skipping for joy. They had been pretty happy to see Jesus. He'd appeared to them twice. This is the third time John tells us. But they'd been on this roller coaster of emotion. Yeah, they'd seen him twice, but what, what next? They'd been through despair. They were, they'd, been, they were, they'd been terrified. Actually, they still are terrified. Uh, because we read in John's Gospel that, that Jesus came and appeared to them on the first Sunday, the very day, Easter Sunday, as we thought last week. And then, remember the following Sunday... A week later, he came again, and that's when Thomas was told to put your you know, hands. And then, and then, well, that was it. Well, well what next? What's going to happen next? Second Sunday, it says the doors were still locked. Why were the doors still locked on the second Sunday? Because they were still terrified. They weren't feeling that secure. They were still locking the doors. And you can see how they must have thought. They, they thought they'd worked everything out about Jesus. They thought they'd got the purpose. They thought they'd got it together about why they were following him. Everything was fine about their life generally up until the last kind of two weeks. And now it's all in bits on the floor. <laughs> what now? What on earth is going on? We're terrified. Where's Jesus? What's it all about? What do we do next? But at least we're in Galilee. We're back home. We know Galilee. Peter has a boat there. The, the, the original Greek says when it says the boat, it refers to it kind of belonged probably to Peter. Peter's got a boat. They're back in their hometown. So what do they do? Well, they do what they used to do. They do what they can do best. These are fishermen. At least we can go fishing. They need food. They need money. They need fishing. And you know the great thing about fishing? If you're terrified, you do it at night time. Nobody sees you. Brilliant plan. Let's go fishing. Some people say, uh, some commentators will say, was Peter doing the wrong thing? Was he giving up on following Jesus and going fishing? I don't think he was. Jesus told them to go to Galilee. They had to eat. (laughs) They were fishermen. They didn't know what was going to happen next. So, you know, you can imagine you know, these, this kind of period of Jesus kind of being with them and teaching them hadn't begun yet. It was about to. So this is the first kind of episode in it, I would think. So there they are. Let's go fishing. Who can blame them? But you know what? They discover that they can't even fish anymore. The very one thing they thought that they would have security in the one thing they did best, fishing on the Sea of Galilee that they used to know so well, back home, even that was a miserable failure. A couple of weeks ago, it was all so clear. Jesus was the king. We were welcoming him into Jerusalem. Now, what, what's going on? Where are we? How on earth do we deal with it? You know, there are times in our lives, aren't there, as believers, as Christians, or as non-Christians. But I'm thinking of our experience as Christians now where we really need Jesus to reveal himself, don't we? Where is he? What on earth is going on? It used to be so clear. (laughs) 
When I first became a Christian, it was so clear and straightforward and easy. But it's got so complicated. What now? It was all taking shape, but now it's in pieces on the floor. Transition can put us into those kind of places. Times where we knew where we were, but we're now aware that everything is changing around us. But we don't know where we are now and we've no idea where we might be going. Happens in grief. Happens in other changes. Happens in life. We know difficult times. We know disappointing times. We know confusing times. We know changing times. We know discouraging times. Gets better, by the way. (laughs) But we need Jesus. And we know we do. But where is he? And you know, this happens. It's okay. You know, some of us, you know, we go through these times and we suddenly feel, oh, I'm a useless Christian. Why should, you know, you know, I'm feeling like this way. How can I be a Christian? All these other Christians are praising God. They all seem so fine and I'm just confused. I don't know what's going on. And you know what? These kind of passages tell us that it's okay. We do go through these times. It's not off limits for the Christians. It's not out of bounds. You know, if you play golf... It's a golfing illustration for the masters. If you play golf, uh, there are times... Uh, I've got to check this for the golfers. I might be wrong here. But there are times when the ball goes out of bounds, right? That's right, isn't it? It's, it goes beyond the limit. It's out of bounds. You've lost that ball. You've got to start with a new one. There are times also when it goes in the rough, which isn't out of bounds, correct? The rough isn't out of bounds. Yeah, they're nodding. Golfers are nodding. And uh, that means you have to get in the rough and you have to try and play the ball. And, you know, for us as Christian believers, these times, they're in the rough. They're not out of bounds. They're part of the course. They're part of the experience of being a human being, living living in a fallen world and following Jesus. So let's not be kind of overwhelmed by the fact that these things happen. Better to be open about it than to pretend it's not there. Now, some of us maybe have felt a bit like this this week. I know I have. And in all of this, we really need Jesus to reveal himself, don't we? And for those of us who aren't yet Christians, seeking God or being on the way to being a Christian can take us through times like that as well. There are ups and downs. It's a journey you kind of don't quite know where you are or where you're going. Some of you who are new Christians will, uh, some of, I think, uh, what, what Lauren was sharing in her testimony last week was a bit like that in those early days. What's going on? Where am I? What's happening? There can be unexpected reactions from people who, who don't understand. We're not really sure where we are. What's it going to be like to follow Jesus anyway? Who is he really? We need to find Jesus. We need to know the Jesus we're looking for. That's why courses like Alpha are so good because they give you a journey to discover who this Jesus you're looking for really is. Do we need Jesus to show up? To reveal himself? What's the way to find him? Who is it we're looking for? Well, let's read on and see what happens next. Verses 4 to 8. Is that someone? Could someone perhaps get me a drink of water, please? Thank you. 
uh, while I read the things. I meant to bring one earlier. It's a, there's a ring, but no, ga- no glass in the ring. Uh, so, right, we're at verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John usually, John who wrote the gospel. He says to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his, oh, thanks, Mark. He wrapped his outer garments around him. For he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred meters. So we thought about needing Jesus. I want to think about now recognizing Jesus. So they're at the end of a long night. They've just finished a futile attempt to get themselves out of it. To try and get some kind of I don't know, something we can do, something we know, something we're familiar with, back together. And they see a man on the shore. It's as dark as that slide. Even if the projector was working better, it would still be dark on the slide. Deliberate, less deliberate that time. I'm going with the flow of our projectors as well. So even if, even if they, they, you know, they, they don't see him, but they hear this voice about 100 yards out. He calls out, all right, lads, or something like that. The word is lads, it's boys. It's, all right, boys, or it's a familiar, it's actually a, a, a very unusual phrase. But fascinatingly, if you're into this kind of thing, John, who wrote the gospel, in his letters, when he talks about Christians, he calls them dear friends. He calls them boys. He uses the same word that he heard Jesus use when he uh, spoke to them on the beach. So, and, and there's this question, you haven't got any, no fish then? Uh, in the original, it's not like, have you got any fish? It's, oh, you haven't got any fish then, have you, kind of thing. Uh, and they say no. It's quite restrained of them, I think. They say no. And he says, try the right side, and I think you'll find some. Or words to that. He said, no, he said, you'll find some. And they do that. And there's fish. Masses in the net. It's the Lord, says John. Where's Peter? Oh, he's in the water. He's jumped in. He's swimming to the shore to get to Jesus as fast as he can. So what is happening here? Well, let me just make a few points. Firstly, you see, Jesus is there already. How long had he been there? We don't know. Certainly long enough to build the fire, as we shall see. I've got a bit of a spoiler alert. There's a fire as well. Long enough to do that. I don't think Jesus was like some Jedi superpower who went, fire. I suspect he built the fire. Where did the fish come from that he had? There he is. How long has he been there? We don't know. But he's been waiting for the right moment. He let some fish all night. It's a bit hard, isn't it? Wow. The thing is, it was, what's happening here is more than about their frustration. Or their confusion. Jesus has another kind of purpose to reveal himself deeply to them in the midst of it all. And actually, if he had intervened earlier, 
If he did magic or miraculized the fish right away, they would, there's some stuff they wouldn't have learned from him. It was his timing. But they hadn't realized it, but he was there. And at these times, it's like that too. Secondly, there's this awkward question. What a question to ask a fisherman. Have you ever tried that down on the common? Oh, you haven't got any fish then. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Why don't you fish somewhere quieter, you know, where there are dogs and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm not a fisherman either, as you can tell. Awkward question. But they admit it. They answer straight up. They say, no, we haven't. We're finished. We're empty. We've got nothing. And you know, we won't recognize Jesus in these times until we're honest about our emptiness without him. It was absolutely crucial. No ifs, no buts. We just need Jesus. And that can be hard for us to admit, can't it? Because we're rather keen on fixing it ourselves. We're rather keen on kind of getting ourselves out of trouble. We're rather keen on controlling our own lives. And sometimes he takes us to a point where, no, we've got nothing. Thirdly, there's this realization that they get next is that Jesus has everything they need. He has everything they need. He knows where the fish are. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, who's a, a really, I, I think, a great theologian and missiologist, um, he talks somewhere about uh, Jesus. And actually, Dallas Willard picks up the same idea. Jesus is the smartest man that has ever lived because he's the creator. He, he's smart. <laughs> he knows where the fish are. So he knew exactly that uh, you know, his knowledge is such that he knew that there was a shoal of fish on the other side of the boat at that point. And he says, try that. He's got it. And as John says, he's the Lord. He is the one who can sort it out. So that's happening. They're realizing that Jesus is the one who has what they need. But there's more. The disciples also are beginning to realize that Jesus wants to be in their lives. Now, this is crucial because before he'd been Jesus, I'm alive, he said, I'm alive, you know, do this, Thomas, etc. Here now, there's something else. This is the beginning of the future for them. Because if you remember the story of how they first became followers of Jesus, back in Luke 5, which you can read later, remember, they, they followed Jesus from fishing. And something similar happened before. They hadn't they'd been fishing all night. They hadn't caught any fish. Jesus says, um, you know... Go out and go out further out and you'll catch some fish. And Peter says, well, we've been fishing all night, Jesus. But just because you say so, all right, then we'll have a go. And he goes out, gets more fish than he's ever seen on a catch in his life. And it's overwhelmed. And Jesus, the next thing Jesus says to him in Luke 5 and the others is, okay, from now on, that's enough fishing. It's people from now on. And it's very similar to what happened then. And why has Jesus done that? Because he's reminding them that all of that isn't over. And we go through these times of confusion. You might think, well, I was clear then. Jesus called me then. I knew where I was then. I was certain then, but I don't know where I am now. And Jesus sometimes will remind us that I still want to be involved in your life. That hasn't changed. The circumstances have changed, yes, around you. But that core thing has not changed. 
You see, Jesus isn't just alive for these disciples. He's alive and he has purposes for them again. He's not just alive, he's back with them. And we realize that he's got everything that we need. He wants to be alive in our lives, involved in our lives. He wants us to know him in that way. And there's one more thing they discover as well, which is rather charming, I think, is that we actually are not alone in this. <laughs> and at times like this, we need each other. Peter and John. Did you notice like, uh, the resurrection appearances that we were thinking about last week? Do you remember? Who got to the, who got to the um, tomb first? John. Didn't John get to the tomb first? Uh, but, but he didn't go in. Who just barged in first? Peter. See, if you've been watching the drama, is that right, Lou? That is what happened. We did last week. Yeah, I thought so. Good. Didn't want to go, go off peace. <laughs> yeah. John understands and acts. Peter acts before he understands. But the two of them, they need each other. And there's a lot more about the two of them coming up next week. Because it goes on. We need each other in these tough times. So despite all we feel, despite all that we go through, despite all the change we don't understand, Jesus is still on the shore. Have you seen him yet? Maybe it'll be later. But he will call out. Maybe he's calling now. Be honest about the emptiness. Trust him to lead you through it. Go with what he says. He is the Lord. Let's read on what happens next. Verse 9. When they landed, and that's the boat, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed or showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's think thirdly then about the next kind of phase in their journey, rediscovering Jesus, verses 9 to 14. So the disciples come close to the shore. They drag the boat up towards the edge of the beach, and as they do so, they can smell something, which they could probably see as well, or maybe not. There's a charcoal fire burning with some fish and bread cooking on it. A charcoal, a charcoal fire, smelling it. There it is on the beach. That takes them somewhere. It takes them to failure. Because it was a charcoal fire, very same fire, same description, where Peter sat and spectacularly denied Jesus three times before he died. It was a charcoal fire where Peter cursed and swore and blasphemed and said, I, I, I don't know him. 
And it was by a charcoal fire that Peter caught a glimpse of Jesus looking at him. And then he couldn't take it anymore and he went out and he wept. But this is not just about Peter at this stage. Next week, it is much more about Peter. This is, it says here, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. It's the seven of them. Peter is focused on next, but that's next week. Because they would have talked about what happened to Peter. From the evidence, it would appear that John was nearby anyway. John was actually further in. It's possible that John had some kind of family connection with the high priest's household. People have done some little bit of evidence to suggest that. So actually, when Peter was by the fire, John was actually further in, able to hear what was going on. So almost certainly, John himself would have gone out and... Where's Peter? And news, you know, would have spread all around them. Oh no, what, what happened to what Peter did? And anyway, they all ran away from him, didn't they? None of them were there when he needed them most. In fact, Peter, James and John, three of the seven here, the last time they were alone with Jesus, he just asked them to do one thing. He said, would you mind just sitting up and praying with me? Because my soul is in such trouble. I am so overwhelmed. All I need you to do, my dear friends, is to pray with me. And they fell asleep. So this is about the failure that they had all been through. And failure is complex, isn't it? It can reshape how we see things. It can reshape how we see life. And not always in a healthy way. It can reshape how we see Jesus, how we see other people. Now, it's almost certain that Peter had already been forgiven at this point. You know, Peter was not feeling, oh no, I've got to put this thing right with Jesus. We know from um, Luke's gospel that on Easter day there was a one-to-one between Jesus and Peter. Because in Luke uh, 24, is it the, the two from Emmaus come back on the Emmaus road and they say to the disciples, you know, uh, well, the disciples say to them, we've seen the Lord, the Lord is risen. And he said, he's appeared to Peter. And, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about he appeared to Cephas uh, as a, an individual experience. So almost certainly Peter is, is, is not kind of out of relationship with Jesus. Of course he wasn't. You know, as soon as he knew Jesus was on the beach, he was in the water. He wanted to be close to him. But can everything be the same with Jesus after failure? Is Jesus going to tell them off? Can, is he ever going to be able to trust them again? See, it's complicated. Peter obviously feels awkward as they come up the beach. Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. Peter uses the opportunity to quickly get out and, 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 and personally jump in the boat, and drag the net. Um, Peter and perhaps others as well. Oh, while we're dragging the net in, let's count how many there are. Oh, there's 153. You know, it's all like, I think it's almost kind of like they're feeling awkward. And we know they're feeling awkward because later on is when they get close to him, it says none of them dared ask him who he was. There's this kind of awkwardness around it. Why? Well, because they'd failed him. And they knew that and he knew that. And maybe we've been there too. Well, we have, if we're honest. Because we've all failed Jesus at one time or another in some way. And the problem is, we think that Jesus is like us. He 
you know, because we say, well, I can forgive, but I'll never forget, we say. Or we'll say, well, after what you've done, after my disappointment, well, I'll work really hard at it. You know, I'll, let's go through counseling, sometimes in marital things. You know, if there's been a betrayal, it's, it's not easy. It's hard work, you know, I, and I'll try, but sometimes it's impossible. When others fail us or disappoint us or sin against us, it's... And we think Jesus is like us, but here's the thing. It's not like that with Jesus. He isn't like us. And here he welcomes them. He serves them, just like he washed their feet. Uh, 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 By then, uh, probably about 10 days previously. He's cooked them breakfast. He's made a fire for them. He says, come. And you know what? I think it's amazing. He says, come and bring some of the fish you've caught. Oh, that's interesting. How did they catch the fish? He told them where to get it. But he says, come bring your fish. Because he kind of shares what he's done for them with them. It's amazing, isn't it? I think it's a wonderful thing. Because this is God's grace. And in this way, God is not like us. He welcomes us home. Come and have breakfast, says Jesus. It's here. Come on. Come on. They're kind of, they're they're awkward about it. And are are there times when we need to rediscover the real Jesus? That this is what he is really like. This is what God is like. You know, at times after a long night without getting anywhere, actually it can be much more than a a, a seven-hour period, can't it? It can sometimes go on for weeks, months. Of confusion, of grief, of anger, of shouting and swearing at God or whatever it may be. And we get, after all of that, we get to thinking in the end that he's like us. Or we start hearing what we're fed from others, stuff that we've heard or we think about God. Or because our father or those who disciplined us were so harsh, we think that he's like that. All those kind of false things about God enter into our kind of emotions and affect us. And we forget his grace. We forget that this is what he is like. Not like us. Not like what we think he's like. He's not going to blow us apart for failing him if we come back to him. He's not going to criticize us for the questions we dare not uh, share with other people and don't share with him because we think we're too frightened to do so. That's not what he's like. We need to rediscover and go forward with him. Because that's what happens, and we'll see next week. They go forward from here, especially Peter, but that's another story. So this is the Jesus who invites me, invites you, from our confusion, back home. You know, we don't kind of have to say anything. These disciples, they didn't know what to say. All they had to do was come to Jesus and let him cook them a meal. Let him give them breakfast. Let him provide for them as they discovered who he really was. What he really is like. Like the prodigal son. You know the prodigal son, the story Jesus told in Luke 15. The boy, yeah we have to go through this process. The boy, he came to his senses. He realized I've done wrong. I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell him I'm sorry. All of that is good. And we have to you know, be in that place in our heads and our hearts uh, or, or we're not going to get anywhere. 
But the boy comes back home and he's about to say to his father his carefully prepared speech, I've sinned again. And he can't get it out because the father's too busy ordering up the best calf, the fatted calf, the ring for his finger, the new robe. We're going to celebrate. And the picture of a shared meal is powerful in Scripture. That's why the communion is so bad. It's powerful because the Bible we have, God's word, wonderfully, is not just kind of teleported from space or from heaven or whatever. It's rooted in a culture, in the history of a people. And in the history and culture of this word of God is the value of hospitality and friendship and the sharing of meals. Now we don't understand that so terribly well in our Western culture, but it's the the Bible is rooted in that. And 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 the idea of sharing a meal with another person is a, a, a an amazing thing. And the idea of sharing a meal with the living God is just I don't want to use this word lightly, it is though awesome. Because it's more than breakfast, it's shared life, it's love, it's friendship. And you know, there was a church who heard the risen Lord Jesus speak to them. And he said to them this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And the invitation is for us, whether we're in confusion or doubt or despair, to somehow come say, Lord, I, I, want, I, I don't know where I am, but I do need you to provide. I do need to sit with you and somehow, even, even though I don't understand it, I need to know that. I need to rediscover, especially after failure. I need to re- rediscover the Jesus who welcomes me back. And invites me home. And, and, and if you're not a believer, he's the same one who invites you to open the door of your life and welcome him in. He does that. So don't stay out in the darkness. Whether it's confusion or guilt or despair, let's respond to Jesus. Because he's inviting us home for breakfast. That's who he is. That's what he does. As we uh, think and pray over, we're going to sing a couple of songs that pick up on that idea. And if you want to use that as a a way of just reflecting uh, and praying, use the songs as as prayers. Or if you'd like to just pray too. If you'd like to pray with somebody, either now or later, then there'll be people to pray with. Uh, Down here, actually, isn't it? Down here now. It's a bit noisy at the back when the coffee gets going. So the prayer area is here. Let's respond.